Welcome to the Story Talks Back. Almost everything that we remember, think about, or imagine is a story. Stories entertain us, inform us, and even define us. They have upsides, and they have downsides. This podcast explores the power of story in every aspect of our lives. I'm Dave Stanton. Thank you for joining us. Ananda Lima's poetry collection, Motherland, published by Black Lawrence Press, won the 2020 Hudson Prize. She's also the author of the chapbook's Translation, winner of the Vela Chapbook Prize, Amblyopia, and Tropicalia. Her work has appeared in the American Poetry Review, Poets.org, Kenyan Review Online, Gulf Coast, and other publications. She has an MA in Linguistics from UCLA and an MFA in Creative Writing in Fiction from Rutgers University, Newark. So thank you for joining me, Ananda, for the Story Talks Back. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Uh, So I wanted to start out by asking you about stories in your life, uh, particularly stories in your childhood and growing up and sort of the atmosphere that was around you when you were a kid. Do you have any sense of how important stories were back then? Yeah, so, um, you know, um, preparing for this, like listening to past of, of this podcast, which I just loved, uh, got me thinking about so many stories that were around. And I think that's true of everybody. Um, for me, um, I'll talk about a few of them. Um, one is uh, my family is very, very big, like especially my, my mom's family. Um, she had nine siblings. So uh, <laughs> it was a lot of people and they each had, you know, three, four kids. Um, and they were very close, you know, uh, they, they are still very close. I'm just here, but um, they're very close. Um, so we would meet up a lot. So a lot of the story, the first stories that I that I heard were partial stories because they were not, especially my mom, uh, they were not parents that would go, let me tell you a story about my childhood. They would not do that. <laughs> but mostly I got stories of them joking with each other. So it was mostly like, um, remember that time that you did this? And, and it was kind of like partial and there was a lot of like private jokes that they had with each other. And we would sort of pick up the vibe and pieces of it and sort of build it over the years. Um, and I was thinking about that. Um, and as a reader, I'm very tolerant of having to sort of hang with it for a bit until I get the story. And I think uh-huh. that, that 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 was a good beginning for it. <laughs> maybe, maybe it brings me back to that. Um, and because there were nine of them, it's it's sort of like you get different perspectives on the same event and uh, little bits here and there and one bit here and one bit years later. So I think I think that was a very great experience. Um, 
other stories, uh, I think I, I, a lot of my memories from Brazil, like I, I've been living here for a couple of, out, out, out of Brazil for a couple of decades. So I don't know how it is now because we didn't have like, not a lot of people had cable and stuff like that. It was just, especially the people I knew, it was just what is on the official channels. And the uh, soap operas just sort of dominated everybody's lives, right? So everybody watched them. Everybody knew what was going on. Everybody knew the format, right? Um, and the stories in the soap opera were really a common thread on everybody. So it was, you know, I didn't know anybody who didn't know what was going on in the soap opera. <laughs> so, uh, and um, that gave me a very different type of storytelling, right? Uh, throughout my childhood that is very uh, threaded, is very sort of there's very clear expectations of what's going to happen you know even if you might not know a detail or two you know kind of the progression of how that story is gonna go um another thing that that experience gave me is just to see the power so fashions things that people are saying uh that all sort of came from the soap opera so it was very it, it really influenced people's lives <laughs> you know it really penetrated people's lives um at the same time I was also exposed to American movies right so like as many people in the world um so we watched a lot of the movies that you know were out I don't know in the 80s here I watched them again and again because I watched the public television and they bought the movie they dubbed it with the same actors, right? Like with the same voices for all the movies. <laughs> and um, and they would repeat it again and again and again. So they would run it once at night, like the big premiere, right? And then, and then in the afternoon, they would repeat for years. So we would watch the movies many times. Um, so, so I had all these stories that I think now they sort of come out in different ways in my work, um, I think. Um, another, another thread that was a story that was a, a sort of constant stream of story for me was, um, so I grew up in Brasilia, um, the capital, and I was kind of the first generation-ish born there, right? So, um, um, Brasilia was a planned city, and and it was it was at the time when they decided it was mostly farmland. There were you know um, those huge farms um, in the 60s, in the 50s, 60s. So people moved there to build the city. Then the the pe people moved to work there, and that was my parents, and then. Uh, and then I was the first generation born there. So there were lots of stories about sort of the grand feat that it was building that city, um, you know, and, um, and, and also stories from homeland. So pretty much everybody's parents were migrants. Um, so uh -huh. it was a very big mix of stories that, that, <laughs> that I sort of grew up with um, constantly in my life.
It's funny because, you know, Brazil still has these soap operas, these, these incredible <laughs> stories that everybody knows, you know, and that's something that used to be true here. But now that, you know, there's so much fragmentation of, of people's right. media that um, people are not having that same sense of a shared story that's still going on in Brazil today. Do you think that that has some kind of an effect on the culture or the people? Yeah, so I think, I think um, looking at it all together, right? Like not just, not just the soap opera, whatever that specific story, but, but the, the sort of fragmentation of realities you know, um, as as we <laughs> we are sort of witnessing has a, a big impact, right? right? You have such different so so when you put it all together, that is not not just one thing, but all the media that people are consuming uh, is is becoming fragmented. So um, I think it's very destabilizing, <laughs> right? Um, you just you just go, how can this person think this way? But there's so much that goes into how you think, right? Um, so, so it is, it, when, it, when it's very extreme like that, I think you can really see it. Um, and, and I think we, we lived through, through it getting to, to where it is now, right? Um, I think, but even subtly, uh, having this this common story um, makes makes the the mass experience more shareable, right? And there's good aspects of it, and there's bad aspects of it. I think as well. Um, um, I think I think when I grew up in Brazil, and I say like when I grew up in Brazil like that, it may be all the same again, <laughs> but I. I um, I'll get into that in a minute, but I, you know, I haven't, I'm not living there now. And I think so many things changed recently that I sometimes go, I don't know if it's like that anymore. Um, but, uh, but I think there was, when I, when I moved overseas, I felt, oh, I, I thought in a way that was so uniform. I think it's the small town experience, right? right. Um, right. Even though I wasn't in a small town, but I think part of the soap opera, it was great because we had this shared story and it was a very, it, it's a very nice thing to build community and to sort of connect with people, but also having this, this because I think stories are powerful, having this one story that everybody sort of is attached to is also has negative effects, I think. Mm. Um, what would that be? But the, um, I think, and again, not just looking at the soap opera, but just the uniform belief system, right? Um, um, you know, it's just closed-mindedness or thinking that things have to be a certain way. Um, mm all I don't know prejudice all this stuff I think when you you think that reality has to be is is one way <laughs> right um and and um that that leads to intolerance I think of anything that deviates from that picture um yeah um yeah <laughs> now with with the 
not not knowing how things are now i feel like um when i talk about oh yes there's this intolerance right um that I felt like the, my experience was the small town person, even though I wasn't in a small town, I was a city person. But you know, when I moved over, when I moved different places, I was like, oh, things are different. It doesn't have to be this way. Um, <laughs> um, but at the same time, I was there as a child and as a teenager and I left. So for me, sometimes it's hard to distinguish what is like Brazil, and what is like my family in Brazil, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because everything that I experienced there was filtered through being sort of a, a minor that uh-huh. could not go around and see everything. Um, and I think I've, I've come to this realization more and more strongly now because my family just went, uh, they went like really crazy with the, <laughs> bad stuff is happening in Brazil now uh, um, <laughs> um, you know and I was like who are these people have they always been like that and have I not realized <laughs> you know um, so it's it's all very questionable for me <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's interesting that you you kind of reached just as you were reaching a stage where you could be independent and you could sort of make your own reality you left the country and you came to the U.S. Exactly. And I came first to Australia. That's right. Uh, and then I came later to, to the U.S. That's right. Um, but that's right. And, you know, like, um, I think I used to, like, in Australia, I met some Brazilian people, um, but not as many as here. Um and they fit my picture of Brazil, <laughs> you know, the people I met there. Um, and then here and over the years, I started meeting other people. I was like, no, maybe, maybe it's just the people I know in Brazil that think this way. You know what I mean? I needed my own expansion right. um, because of what you just brought up. Uh, but it took a while because I just had a very specific experience of Brazil. Do you have a sense that there's a difference between Brazilian story and U.S. story or Western story um, in terms of narrative or what makes a good story? Yeah, so um, so I I think one one difference, right, is the the which is in a way superficial is the content of the narrative, right? Um, so, you know, America has its own America myths and Brazil has its own Brazil myths. Mm-hmm. And I think this is superficial in that they're similar. They just say, one says America is great, the other one says Brazil is great, you know, like, but they're, they're similar in, in that those are just the grandiose stories that people tell about their countries. Uh, and I think it's true everywhere. Um, but so this is content. So I, I feel that especially because I sort of had history classes in Brazil. And then I have friends who had history classes here. And I go, wow, that's how it's presented. It's not presented this way over there, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. Um, 
which also happens both ways. So one, one thing is content, but on, in, in terms of structure and, and that kind of thing. Um, now, I was thinking about that. And I think, first of all, I don't, I don't have the whole landscape, you know, like usually the stuff that I'm presented is presented through friends who know what's going on there. But I'll just talk about uh, sort of literary landscape today and then I'll talk about stories um, in a bigger picture. I feel like um, Brazilian publishing is not as professionalized as American publishing. So, <laughs> you know, like here to publish a book, you first workshop it in classes, then you workshop it with your friends, then you send it to the agent and the agent's going to revise it. Then you send it to the editors and they're going to revise it. So it's, it's, a, it's a very big effort, especially for a uh, sort of big house book. Mm. Um, right. Whereas in Brazil, I don't know, different presses, there's a lot of little presses and different presses will have different levels of editing and it's all sort of there mixed up in the same marketplace. Um, so I feel like when I read Brazilian books, it's a little bit similar to the experience of reading small press books here yeah. in that I find some wonderful stuff that would not fly <laughs> you know, <laughs> in a big publisher. Um, or maybe it will fly with difficulty. Um, uh, so I think I find this, this freedom, but I also find stuff that are like, oh, maybe it would be better if they didn't do this thing in the story, <laughs> you know? Mm. Um, but I, I, I enjoy that very much. So I find, I find that... Um, I find very beautiful, amazing surprises reading Brazilian books, but the same as small presses here, just because it doesn't go through so much, so many filters, more interesting stuff stays. And you also find a lot of duds, <laughs> you know, because the, for the same reason. Um, now in storytelling, um, let me think, I think, I think, um, I wonder, I think there's a little bit more tolerance for not, not such tight plots, uh, you know? Um, what do you mean? Um, okay, so I think I'm talking about publishing again. Uh -huh. I think uh, uh, here, you know, like the character does something, it should be driven by a character flaw, and this has to cause that and everything is causally connected. Mm. Um, you know, I think there's a little bit more freedom on that for external events. Um, um, but I'm not sure. <laughs> um, now, when, when we talk about sort of popular stories, you know, like, um, and I'm most familiar sort of with the Northeast because that's where my family is from, from Bahia. Um, mm -hmm. you have, you have sort of, um, Cordell and this sort of stuff. I think there is, um, there's a lot of recurring themes, you know, the devil is very present as a mm -hmm. trickster, um, which is very enjoyable. So I think there's, a uh, 
you're gonna get a lot of little stories about the devil or about the traveler or whatever and those you get the specific the particular story but it sort of links to a recurring theme and Uh that is part of the joy too even though it's not a serial thing you sort of follow you revisit this type of character which i think is very fun Uh yeah (laughs) you also have you know you have two cultures and then you also have two languages right which you kind of have the option at any moment of working with one or the other. So particularly, you know, for your storytelling, but also in your poetry, you know, what types of things do you find that you are more inclined to write in English as opposed to Portuguese? And, and is there a distinction? Oh, nice. So, um, so I feel like, especially for fiction, um, I, pretty much almost always uh, write in English. And I think that's just because that's the language I'm embedded in, like that's the language that I live. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and that comes very naturally, like to start in English. Um, <clears throat> sometimes when the character is Brazilian or, and speaks, that's when the Portuguese comes in and I either translate it or not, but mostly I translate it. Um, and sort of that pulls the Portuguese. Um, there was this one story recently that I wrote in Portuguese, which was a total surprise for me. <laughs> um, and I wrote the whole thing in Portuguese. Um, Is it published? And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, Anthropophaga. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, but then I thought about it. Oh, that's because I, I started writing it when I was, First, I was in Portugal for like a month. Then I was in Brazil for a month. And that's when I wrote it. So I'm like, okay, it makes sense. It's the <laughs> language that I'm immersed in. But, um, but I did notice that when I wrote that story, um, I think I wrote it differently. Um, I had more gaps when I wrote it in Portuguese. I had more jumps. I didn't... Um, hmm handhold the readers much um i even though in portuguese when i speak portuguese i use the pronoun so i say i went to the shop right um but portuguese you can drop the pronoun um and just say went to the shop um and in writing people tend to drop the pro the pronoun because i think that's that's like the linguist speaking, okay? In <laughs> writing, when, when you read a book that like was published in Brazil, <clears throat> a lot of times they drop the pronouns um, more than, than when you talk to people on the street, <laughs> you know? And I think it's because it sounds literary, um, <laughs> you yeah. know, because it's older. Um, anyways, um, <clears throat> but I did a little bit of that and it was so much fun. Uh, because it creates so much ambiguity, um, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, y- you can tell from context, but the sentence can be read in many ways, which is very enjoyable. That's what one thing I love about Clarice Lispector when I'm reading, you know, mm-hmm. it's like you kind of know what she wants to say, but she's also saying all this other stuff uh, because of things like that, of dropping the pronoun or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So anyway, so I wrote that story differently and it was much smaller in Portuguese. Now, when I translated it, it grew uh, a lot because I, I was like, no, let me say, let me get from A to B a little bit more. Uh, so it was a really great experience, but mostly I just uh, write in English. <clears throat> um, I mean, do you feel that, that, you know, the fact that you're sort of more expansive when you write in English is partly because you're explaining it to yourself or because you don't, you don't feel as comfortable? I love that question. I'm thinking about that. Wow, that's, that's cool. Like, I, I, I think I'm going to think about that because I never thought, am I explaining to myself? Um, Maybe that's what I'm doing, but I do feel more comfortable writing English. Mm -hmm. And the reason is um, English has its, things you know like let me just give a random example like um don't end a sentence in a preposition or whatever um <laughs> but people don't really care if in your story you end your sentence in a preposition and it fits the character in the story it's not like such a huge deal sure. um in brazil even even in the soap operas like when i first come like the first day I go back to Brazil and somebody turns on the soap opera. Um, it's very artificial the way they speak, <laughs> you know? So I think the gap, like, um, Eli estava na loja, you know? <laughs> like they don't cut the same way that you cut as you speak. It's, it's very sort of heightened, even in the soap opera, which is a very popular medium. Now, when you get a book, um, a lot of the books, I feel like the gap between the way you speak and the way you write is a little wider there than it is here. Um, um, and, and sort of the grammar rules and stuff like that. So when I write in Portuguese, I'm kind of stressed out. <laughs> you know, I'm like, is this incorrect? Is this correct? <laughs> you know, I kind of have to write it in secret and like, you know more than more than in English because in English it's like oh, is this bad writing or whatever. But in Portuguese, on top of that, it's it's sort of like is this proper? Um, <laughs> so I <laughs> I actually have a much um, easier time writing in English, even if there are things um, that later I have to look at. You know, it. it I'm less worried <laughs> just because the, the written language in Brazil is so, um, uh, there's so much that goes in there. You know, it's, it's a lot of sort of, I think the evolution of that is very sort of class-based. Um, there's a lot of weight on the way you write, <laughs> you know? Mm. Um, so I think it, that, that gets in there. I'm like, what is the right way? In English, what happens a lot is not big things. What what happens a lot when I write in English is like, I don't know if it's on, in, or at, stuff like that. I'm like, is it on the thing, in the thing, or at the thing? <laughs> so I just write it and then I ask my husband later, you know, I'm like is <laughs> um, little things like that. And then there's things I'm not aware of and those don't get in the way. Um, um, but I do like your question about explaining to myself. I, I wonder if I'm explaining to myself and to the reader. I think I, I have I have more of a burden to explain to the reader 
uh, then I have to, ex then I, I, I sort of explain my, to myself in the process in English. Um, and I think that is both because of the, um, the, the, the thing that I was talking about, about how, how the books there, there's a wider mm -hmm. variety of things you see published. Um, I think that is also part of me having been trained as a writer. So I, I wrote before, but here I went to MFA, to the MFA, I went to workshops and things. And that has happened in English. Maybe they do the same thing there somewhere, but I didn't mm -hmm. have that experience there. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, in English, I, I put on all that knowledge comes, right. um, you know. Yeah, you have that whole um, academic career. Right, right. All, and it was all, all in associated English. With English. <laughs> exactly. And that's so such sort a of formal, like... I mean, I was a copy editor for the Modern Language Association for <laughs> so cool. a number of years. Uh, actually, I was a proofreader more than a copy editor. And, oh uh, my gosh! So you're the person I should be have been worried about when I was writing about the arms and names and that. I probably could have, <laughs> wouldn't have noticed, but um, <laughs> yeah. I mean that that type of writing is very very stilted in a way. It's very kind of right. arch, you know, formal. Um, so. Right. Yeah, so so um, because I, I I came to the U.S. to to do a graduate program in linguistics, right? Um, and we wrote this papers that was sort of very sort of formal style, right? right. Um, um, and it had a lot of sort of jargon that had very specific meanings, and right. if you I'm making a definition for something you have to really work on it. Um, and I, uh, those papers in a way are sort of, they are easier in the way that it can be boring, <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> you can make the readers suffer because they just want their information. Because <laughs> they deserve um, it. <laughs> yeah, they deserve it. You got to earn it. Um, uh, of course, there's a couple of exceptions of people who write it very well. I could never do that for that type of paper. Um, but I have a very hard time with nonfiction. Like, I love writing fiction. I love writing poetry. But nonfiction for me is just, like, amazingly hard. And every once in a while, somebody asks you to write something, like, if you're sending a poem for an anthology, they sometimes they want a poem and a little essay about something related to the poem. Mine are always awful. I write very like, well, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it's a very hard time for me <laughs> um, because now you have to make it nice. You know, you can just be a boring thing. <laughs> I have a very hard time. Um, yeah. It's funny. Yeah, very different style. <clears throat> It's funny because you you know your fiction is in English and for, for the most part and I, I found it also though that you, you uh, seem more comfortable being kind of surreal or um, you know experimental in terms of your subject matter in in fiction uh, mm -hmm. and it's hard I guess it's harder to be surreal in a poem but um, <laughs> they're ready so like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you, do yeah. you find that? I mean, it seems like you sort of 
there's almost kind of a science fiction element to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's so true. And I think, um, yeah, the poems, um, for some reason, the poems are much closer to sort of my reality in my life, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, or things that I've seen. Um, not to say that everything I've ever said in a poem is true, uh, you know, like, but it's always much closer. Um, I feel like I'm a person who there, there are writers who write both where the fiction and the poetry is much closer to each other. I feel like I'm Mm -hmm. very, very far apart, both in subject matter, style, everything. Um, and yeah, I think, I think I, I, I don't do any of those things that, you know, there's, you know, like uh, surreal and things that don't really happen. I rarely do that in poems, even though some people do it beautifully, but it just never even occurs, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and I wonder about that. I'm not sure. One thing is like, um, sometimes poems are just a little bit closer, like to photographs, you know, like it's, it's, it's like a mm. little thing, mm. <laughs> you know, that is just either beautiful or interesting or moving. And it's just that little thing. And that's the poem, <laughs> you mm. know. Um, and fiction is, is a much sort of bigger into object uh, uh, for me. Um, and and I, I have to work. I have to work much much harder on the fiction as in like I, I really have to sort of uh, okay let's do this <laughs> you know whereas the poems it's like it sometimes it just happens you know so so it, the poetry is more natural to me do you find that um american readers respond to you in the sense that oh you're a brazilian writer you're a latin american writer um, and then make assumptions about you because of that? Yeah, so I think that definitely happens. I think um, in all aspects of life to, to, to most people who have some sort of minoritized status here, um, the thing that makes it hard for me is that people do that, but I also talk a lot about my status as a immigrant in my poems uh right so it's like uh I'm also calling the subject so uh but but um yeah so because I'm talking about it it's kind of like I start the conversation and it's a little bit more in my terms you know what I mean I'm saying this is what it's like and it gives a little bit less room for people go oh this is what it's like you know um yeah, um, I think the book that I'm working on now, which is more of the vision one, that is going to be very interesting because I have a lot of poems that have nothing to do with migration or anything like that. Um, and I'm just um, a lot of a lot of poems just about vision. Um, and I'm just wondering how that experience is going to be. I think it's going to be very different. Um because you know everybody uh 
has a lot of aspects to themselves, right? And, and one of them is that like, I'm a Brazilian writer, but then the vision thing, an American person can have it and I can have it. Um, and it will be interesting to see how that is going to be talked about um, when the poems are out, etc. But because for, for the stuff, like the, the book that is about to come out, um, I sort of start the conversation, sort of the subject matter is me who brought it up, uh, you know? Um, so it gets kind of tangled. Um, in fiction though, a lot of times, especially in the workshop context, nobody in my MFA, because my MFA was amazing and very full of people from everywhere. Um, but, you know, people ask like the silliest questions that you're just like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I wrote a story about Brasilia and, you know, Brasilia is like kind of like savanna um, vegetation. You know, it's like um, grass and like short trees. It, it looks kind of like, you know, the picture you have of like Africa and the giraffe, you know, it's like that kind of vegetation. It's a few trees and dry you know and then there's the rainy season or whatever but it's not like the jungle you know <laughs> it's there's different vegetations and I'm writing a story about Brasilia and the person goes well why don't you have some like lush like tropical stuff I'm like there's no lush tropical stuff in there what are you talking about <laughs> you know little things like that I think in the um I think that that sort of thing happens more um in, in places where I don't start the conversation, but surely it, it does happen, <laughs> you mm. know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you think that, <clears throat> you know, people sort of assume they know your story because they know where you came from? They make assumptions about what you must have experienced? Yeah, I think, I think there's a, a thing that I find super interesting and, and it's one of those um there, there are experiences that you have when you just move out that are very I, I i don't know like the naive experience when you're like a fresh person in the country that's sort of a, a fascinating and interesting one of them is how the 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 brazilian or uh, the 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 latino person or the brazilian becomes one person i'm like it's a gigantic country brazil is huge there's all sorts of people like my experience is so different from somebody else's experience right, right. so right. you know like um i think there's this whole merging of a whole country right and sometimes yeah sometimes it's many times will be like i don't know like um I don't know, like I'm a, like for example, like the the nanny thing, right? Like I'm with my son who looks like me, right? I there's there's people oh, who, no at way. least you know, like they, the kid doesn't even look like them, and they're like, oh, are you know, pair. I'm like, first of all, I'm too old to be on the pair. <laughs> Second of all, like why would you think I'm the pair? Stuff like that, um, that happens. Um, but so so it's like okay the brazilians are like sort of the baby you know they they put they turn the whole country into a person and sometimes it's stuff like that but sometimes it's also this um um 
it goes the other way around. Oh, you know, it comes with kindness sometimes. It's like, oh, you you guys are not like the Americans that do that. I'm like, no, no, no. There's plenty of people in Brazil doing all sorts of stuff <laughs> as evidenced <laughs> evidence by our president. You know, it's because you're Brazilian, it doesn't mean that you are the good things and all the bad things. You know, you're just a different <laughs> person. Um, <clears throat> in writing, um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard because I, I you get little things every t- all the time here and there. And it's a very mixed experience. Sometimes you get very um, insightful and great reactions. And sometimes you get silly things, you know. <laughs> Um, and I think it's, it's, we, uh, what happens in the publishing side, right? When you submit something, which is very relevant to what people will read eventually and who gets to, to, to tell the story, um, that we can know more by looking at numbers, right? So I don't know individually when I send a poem, and it gets accepted or reject, rejected. It could be that the poem's just bad, <laughs> you know? I could be that I'm a Brazilian person talking about something that doesn't fit whatever they like to hear from a Brazilian mm-hmm. person. It's hard to tell. And these things, I feel like I've had a very great experience so far, but I feel these things are more uh, visible when you look at numbers, right? Like so many, uh, the number of, submissions and the number of things that get published this kind of thing sure because it's hard to tell on an individual basis yeah it's interesting though because you know stories i guess language in general you know is really about classifying things right so you're Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're trying to describe a character and you're trying to make the reader understand yeah you know who that character is quickly Yes. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you run the risk of them not really understanding what you're saying. And it's almost like that's what you encounter as a Brazilian in America, that, that you know, everybody is, is in a rush to try to understand you quickly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and as a writer, you kind of have to, you have to assist that, you know, facilitate it. But at the same time, you don't want to betray your characters or your plot. Do you ever find that kind of thinking? So I think you brought such a great point there, which is to create a character, right? You have to you have to come up with a couple of characteristics to sort of form that person in the mind of the reader. And and as much as you may want to give a big picture of the character, you're always summarizing so much, right? Um, and that's kind of like the job of the writer. Um, and you have to, you're using whatever ideas are in the uh, reader's brain, right? <laughs> Which can lead to all, all sorts right. of things. Um, so that's one, one thing that is sort of like problematic in an interesting way. Uh, the other one is sometimes your characters are the thing, like they're partially what the reader, uh, you know, I am Brazilian. I like X, Y, and Z, you know, like sometimes <laughs> part of the stereotype applies, which makes it so hard because I'm like, it's just part of it. It's not the whole thing, you know, but I do like this and that. Um, yeah, which is very complicated. Um, 
<clears throat> the other thing, so so these two things come together. Um, another thing that goes in, there's just so many things. Another thing that goes in there is like, let me just bring up the babysitter episode, right? Back. Uh, and that brings complications in America and in Brazil. Uh, so it's annoying that a person thinks I'm an, the au pair, right? But then there's like the au pair. What's wrong with being the au pair? And, and that everybody knows, but that is so charged in Brazil because class distinctions are so strong there, right? Um, so then there's a problematic side on the side of the person. There's so a problematic, uh, it, it evokes a problematic, Thing in Brazil, right? On, on the side of the person rejecting that label, perhaps. Um, right. so, so it's all very charged and very complicated, which is why I love, I love writing that sort of calls attention, calls, calls attention to the fact that this writing is writing and that there are problems there. <laughs> I don't think I don't think that every type of writing has to be that way. I enjoy regular stories very much. Um, <laughs> but you know, I am very drawn to metafiction, autofiction, um, and writing that calls attention that to the fact that this is being written by a writer and wakes you up to that fact and makes you question what the writer is doing. Um, I don't think every writing should be like that. And it's not fun to just read that, but it's, it's fun to put that into the mix because I think this is one of the, the problem that you said of characterization. It's, it's a problem that you kind of have to do it to write. Um, but then people can investigate the problem in different ways, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, um, and I think that is can be a genesis of much art, <laughs> you know, to investigate mm -hmm. that problem. Um, sure. And one of the ways is like in metafiction or whatever, but there can be other ways. Um, <clears throat> but it certainly is like an interesting problem. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. Especially if you're writing about characters that will evoke a lot of stereotypes, right? Like sometimes you have to fight the stereotype, but then you're like, okay, am I writing this to fight that stereotype? Who am I writing that for? You know? Right. <laughs> um, right. So, so it becomes very interesting, I think. Yeah. It's almost like you become the... I remember another writer I spoke to a long time ago was talking about how you become the translator of your culture to, right. you know, the Western or American, whatever reader. And then that becomes a pain in the neck, you know, because, yeah, yeah. you know, it kind of interferes. Well, that's not what the job I signed up for. Right. 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 Exactly. You, you're not just writing the thing that you have to write. You're putting all this, other things in there, you know. Right. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. And um, I don't know. I think I think there's that, and also um, the translation job. I think that that job, that type of translation, um, 
brings a couple of things back. Um, you know, when I was talking about my childhood and how I had heard partial stories, right? Or when you go to a different country and you arrive and people have their things that everybody did in the 80s or whatever that I have no idea about. So I'm very surrounded by things that I don't know that I have to look up or I just have to guess from context. Um, and I think that's true, very true of immigrants and it's very true of ma marginalized people because there's a central culture, right? That you have to sort of understand um, to understand what's going on like mainstream. Um, <clears throat> so I have a lot of joy and a high tolerance for reading something where I don't know what they're talking about in this part and in this part and this part and I either look it up I go maybe it'll become clear later or whatever and I actually enjoy the experience you know um maybe because of my life experience um and I think you know the the non-immigrant white uh American reader is also missing out <laughs> not having that experience <laughs> you know um because it's nice. It's nice to to sort of put it together slowly. It's kind of like an organic growth of the story in your mind versus sort of like just the, the staircase, you know, it's like, mm. <laughs> um, and, and, um, and, and I think it's, it's uh, an interesting thing to think about as a writer. Um, how much to do both for, for the interference in your work, but also as a project to see how much you can stretch it and how, how can you make that experience happen without the translation. Um, I think that can also be an interesting question. You just don't want to be forced to work on that question all the time, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk to you uh, a little about uh, your your poetry book, Amblyopia, mm -hmm. um, and specifically about Amblyopia, which is sort of a factor in your life and also coincidentally in my life. Um, that was amazing. So, um, you know, it's commonly called lazy eye in this culture, mm -hmm. which is, yeah. you know, could be a whole discussion in itself, but, uh, right. you know, I wonder how you feel that, I mean, I know your son has, has a, has a more uh, serious case than, yeah. than um, either of us did. Um, right, right. How, how does that sort of relate to your storytelling and to, you know, your perception of how things are and, as, and discovering yourself? Nice. Yeah, I love I love that we had sort of a similar experience <laughs> of it that we can talk about. Um, right. So yeah, so um, um, so the, the 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 thing the discovery with my son has I, we knew when he was very young, like maybe one or just before one or something like that, that he he had amblyopia. Um, but the 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 first person just sort of the first person we saw didn't treat it as a big deal. I think, you know, a lot of people have it like you and me. It's not such a massive thing. Um, you just work on it. And and it was just sort of 
the diagnosis was more like, oh, he has myopia and he just wears glasses. It was a very simple thing. Um, the discovery of other things that amblyopia affects came recently to me and it was sort of mind blowing <laughs> to me uh, because I have amblyopia. I didn't even know it was called amblyopia. I knew about the lazy eye and I knew th of the difference between my eyes, right? One sees much better than the other. Um, and I remember sort of the doctor telling me this as a child, it was not treated as a big deal. We didn't do anything, just glasses. Um, my eye didn't turn uh, visibly and frequently like my son's. Um, so it wasn't a big deal, but I was always, okay, I have a lot of experiences of, of myself that I sort of thought were my personality. But what, what happened is, um, I, and I'll go, go into it in a second. What happened was I went to the doctor. I went to this very good doctor who recommend, was recommended by another mom uh, whose kid had amblyopia. And he did hours of testing. And it was much more thorough process than, than the first doctors that we saw with my son. Um, and he started describing all these side effects like that are developmental. There are side effects from having this disparity in the eyes mm -hmm. and, and how it affects binocular vision. So he was talking about all this stuff and about sort of uh, having trouble with directions, not knowing where left and right are and getting lost and all these things. And he's describing it and being a little like, that's not the words he said, but a lot of sort of spacey <laughs> side effects of it. And he's describing, I'm like, two reactions for every single thing he's saying. Either, wait, isn't everybody like that? And, or, <laughs> right. or, oh, I thought that was just my quirky personality. <laughs> <laughs> and he's describing all these things and I'm having like this moment where first of all, I'm like, wow, this thing about myself is part of potentially, I'm not even sure, part of this um, one. Two is I probably gave it to him, so I feel very bad. Mm. Um, and then three, he has it much worse than me. So it was really affecting his reading. It was, is, is a big deal for him. Um, and you can tell in the numbers also the, the, you know, the correction I need is very small. The correction I need is huge. Mm. Um, so I'm like feeling very sad, very guilty, um, but also feeling like it's just weird and marvelous that I'm discovering these things about myself and him. Um, and also the language of it is so like in your face, uh, poetic language, right? Um, so I was already working with bilingual poems where uh, sort of the there's an internal struggle to what language is this poem in? And there's an integration thing going on. Like, I want this to be one poem with the two languages, not two poems, and I'm fighting to integrate them. So I was already doing that. And then, and then you know, the, the doctor's going, 
through the explanation of the condition more thoroughly. And he's saying, you know, one eye is fighting the other eye. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's a poem. <laughs> and, uh, there's a convergence problem, you know, like converging the two images together. Right. And that worked so much. And then I felt like, oh, my gosh, this is wonderful. But then I felt guilty about thinking about that. It was just like an explosion of things <laughs> happening at those moments. And um that this chapbook has a lot of things that I was working through, uh, you know, at both at the discovery and also there's a lot of work to be done with him. So we do like this therapies and then we do it with the therapist once a week, but then I have to do it every single day with him. Mm -hmm. um, also help with reading. So that was a lot of both sort of labor and also just sort of things to, to, to work through so I think that book was very helpful for me I'm still working on other poems related to that but I think they're they don't have the immediacy this this was sort of the immediate uh reaction of that time that was really crazy <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah it's yeah. funny because it's like you know the same way that as a writer you kind of have to assume that the world is as you see it and that everybody yeah. sees the world the way you do yeah. you know then suddenly you have that assumption changed you know and it's like <laughs> yeah. all of these assumptions that we make based on our experience of living in the same body and the same reality every day you you just assume that, it's everybody's reality right that's that's totally right it really was sort of like mind-blowing you know because it was that and it was also what I knew about myself you know like I've lived this way all this time right. and I just didn't know anything about it. It was just, it was just very, very crazy. I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of those came through that and it worked very well with the work that I was doing before. Uh -huh. um, yeah. Because I, I was doing a lot of these um, uh Exper experiments of putting them together and one of them is uh using repeating forms in poetry so like a pentum or something is a poem that will repeat the lines so instead of repeating the lines i putting a repetition i was putting translations but the translations were very loose um mm -hmm. so that worked very well with uh amblyopia um stuff <laughs> yeah well, yeah. I, I've had a wonderful time talking to you, and uh, I feel like we could talk for another hour. But <laughs> thank you so much. We both have that things really to do, wonderful. and uh, <laughs> but I really appreciate your time and uh, your your insight. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was really wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> the story talks back is produced and hosted by Dave Stanton. The music you're hearing now was written and performed by Christopher Daydream. The theme music at the beginning of our show is an excerpt from Play by Merlin Twelfthoven, performed by Carlos Quartet as part of their 50 for the Future series. Please subscribe to The Story Talks Back on Podbean and check us out on Instagram. See you next time.